Well, I honestly love the Christmas season. I love everything about it. I, I don't know about you, but I love the nativity. Uh, when I'm walking in Costco or Sam's Club, they're usually the first ones to have them out. And I get all excited. We have a nativity snow globe that the, the kids get to play with that I love. And our church has an amazing nativity scene outside. Uh, I don't know if you uh, heard about the mom, though, who set up the nativity scene. And she had given some special rules to her little boy who honestly, to be uh, he could get out there. He could really be a little rebellious child. He was a tough one for the mom. And so one day she's walking in the living room and catches him doing something that he knew he shouldn't do. She had told him clearly not to do. Before she could contain herself, she pointed at him and said, you might not think that I see everything, but I want to tell you God sees everything. And if you continue doing bad things, God is not going to let you have any presents at Christmas time. And she walked out. The little boy looked and he thought, oh no. He walked over to the nativity and he grabbed Mary out of it. and He ran in his room. He tied her up in yarn and put her under his pillow. He said, God, if you ever want to see your mother again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. A very real thing happened last week that I think is just amazing and brings out the whole message of Christmas. Uh, And kind of think through this as I tell it. I want to say it with sensitivity. But our Santa, our Santa who takes pictures outside with the kids... Um, last week during the services, obviously needed some time to rest, but also to enjoy what's happening here. And he didn't want to walk in here at the 11 o'clock because he was concerned that, you know, he he would just cause a distraction. So he went into the family room and Santa walks in the family room and all the kids see him and he sits down and this little boy who we're guessing is about four walked up and looked at him and said, are you Santa Claus? And he looked and said, well, yes, I am. And the little boy said, can I tell you what I want for Christmas? And Santa said, yeah, well, yes, you can. So he told him. Well, a few seconds later, all of a sudden, Santa notices out of the corner of the eye, little boy standing there, little boy standing there like this. He said, Santa, have you had communion? And he said, well, no, I haven't. And he opened up his hands and there it was, the bread and the cup. He said, Santa, this is the body of Christ. Santa, this is the blood of Christ. Isn't that awesome? It was just so awesome. So our Santa has never enjoyed communion more. But uh, I thought that was pretty cool. What are we experiencing in life is the question that God wants us to think about. Jesus said that if you continue in my word in John chapter 8 verses 31 and 32. Jesus said if you continue in my word you will truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We've been talking about freedom a lot uh, uh, since September and this is the last two weeks of it. But today and next week are the biggest reason why we decided to go into it. And we tried to lay a foundation to say that if we really live out what God has called us to do. And we are the people God's called us to be. We're going to have freedom in our life, not bondage. But too often, people are their own worst enemies. They sabotage themselves. Now, there is a thief, Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, who's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And many people's lives are lives of destruction and bondage. Many people are being ripped off. And they're making choices that put them in that position. Uh, It's causing harm to them. It's causing harm to marriages. It's causing harm to families. It's keeping people from being who God has created them to be and living this abundant life. So many things are deceptive and we get caught into it. It very much reminds me of a particular iron sign that was made. And this iron sign was written in German, but the translation is this. Work will make you free. Work will make you free. And that sign was put above the entrance of Dachau. 
And the Jewish people that walked through those gates and saw that promise were being lied to. You and I know today that they were going to torture and to their death. The work they would do there would not make them free. Every day would mean more bondage and more of a hideous, horrendous life. And interestingly, at Dachau, they also found a training manual for Nazi soldiers. And the Nazi soldiers were told this. It is your job to deceive the prisoners every day into believing that one day they'll experience freedom. They were to deceive them every day. Do you know how many people are deceived every single day? They think that the job they do will give them freedom. The way they spend money will give them freedom. If they continue to live life the same, they'll have freedom. We're a society today that's in despair. Economically, not only are we challenged, but we're challenged in so many other areas. And the sad truth of it is, we look and ask, who's living this amazing, abundant life that God wants? And I'm not trying to be demeaning at all, and I hope you listen to every word we're about to get into. But sadly, it's even more tragic when Christians aren't living this life of freedom. I mean, if someone doesn't know the Lord, okay, maybe that's why they think they can get it. They think living this way or doing this will give them that life. But what happens is the the tragedy, the fruit of it in the end isn't good. And God then calls out to we who are his children, who have the Holy Spirit, who knows his word. And he says, I've made you, in Romans 8, 37, I've made you to overwhelmingly conquer in Jesus Christ. Why aren't more people conquering? Why aren't more people walking on the high hills, as the Bible calls it, living the life that's amazing, experiencing everything God has for them, when that's what he wants? God's great desire is that we would be in a relationship with him as a dad, as an Abba, as a daddy, who loves and cares for us, and, and he wants us to experience that. And very often, the reality is, we end up making choices that hurt us and don't allow us to do the right thing. So I want you to think about that. First of all, why is it so many... So many times I, and I think if you got honest, you, you've intentionally chosen something you knew God wouldn't want you to do, or you've gone to a place God wouldn't want you to be, or you've gotten into a relationship that God could not have been more clearly saying, don't do this, or you've brought out words or held on to bitterness or practiced a lifestyle. And you know what? God looks at you. How does God feel about you in those moments? So how do we guard from what we call self-sabotage? And the reason we want to think about that, I'll just get really honest with you, is um, the very reason we went into this series in the first place is uh, because of very specific instances, very real people that uh, my heart is broken for. And I want you to be, I I hope you understand, we've not been throwing stones. But we've been saying, why? Why'd they do it? A man who has a wonderful wife and she would have done anything to have a great marriage and now today it's all fallen apart and the hurt's been so deep and the pain's so real that I don't know if they're going to make it. For what? For what? Uh, Kids. Um, I I had a girl crying because she doesn't know she's going to have a mom or dad. And and for what? When I look what they traded it for, it's like, really? Really? Uh, and, and why? Why would we, we all know deep down, but, but for some reason we do and even know intentionally go there. And uh, by the way, I want you to know that that, that problem, that, that issue, that doing that action or taking that attitude is not new. And I want to talk about the idea of not being our own worst enemy, not self-sabotaging our life, our friendships, our relationships. But I, I want to talk about something greater. Where, where is the, 
the vessel, the, the, where is the, actually the motivation that brings the freedom and transformation from? And I'm hoping that it comes out today and we don't miss it. 1 Samuel 21 is where we're going to be. Uh, David is a man after God's own heart. David is loved by God. And what happened is David had uh, been anointed by Samuel and Samuel told him, you will be the king one day. Now, this is the greatest prophet who ever lived in that particular period of time, whose word had never fallen to the ground, the Bible says. He never said something that didn't happen, and everybody knew that. And so he anoints David and says, you're going to be king. And in anointing him, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 12, it's also symbolic that the Holy Spirit will be upon you and in you. So a great promise is made to him. After that, he will go and stand before the greatest warrior of his day, Goliath, and take him to the ground. Then at that point, his popularity rises, his fame rises. Jonathan, the king's son, comes and tells him, you are going to be the king one day. And he actually gives him his robe and his sword to say to him, I'm behind you. Well, Saul, who's at the king at the time, becomes his own worst enemy. Not only David's worst enemy, his own worst enemy. By, by literally becoming bitter and jealous and, and, and attacking David, he tries to take down his reputation. He eventually tries to kill him personally. He sends people to ambush and assassinate him. David aren't, is not sure who his friends are or who his enemies are. And yet God has said, I'll stand with you no matter what. And in the midst of his life being turned upside down, he for some reason can't see the hand of God there. Even though he had great promises from God, even though he had great uh, people, in his life surrounding him. He makes the worst decision possible. Now, I want you to think about that because what I think is for many of us, if we look at the situation we're in, it's because we may have made the worst decision possible. And in David's case, I can't imagine anything more foolish than this. He leaves the place where God wanted him to be to go to the land or the city of Gath in the land of the Philistines. Now, now, I don't know if you're catching it. I don't know if you're grabbing it. So I want to make sure you get it. There's no worse place for David to be than this. What is a Hebrew doing in the land of the Philistines? What is David doing in the city of Gath? Because I don't know if you remember it. Goliath was from Gath. Do you understand where I'm going? I mean, this is like a death sentence. He was afraid if I stay here, I'll be killed. He will for sure be killed in Gath. I mean, you can't miss it. I mean, he could not be in a worse place. Why would he go? It's suicide to go there. It's destruction to go there. It's evil to go there. It's, 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 it's a rebellion against God to go there. It's the last place he should have gone. And, and I don't want you to miss that. See, so often that's what we have happen, is that people who know God and know the promises of God go into places that God never would want them to be, doing things God would not, doesn't want them to do. And then they, 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 they face the consequence of it. And they're like, what happened? What happened? And that's what David did. That's what he did. And, and, and by the way, what are we talking about? We're talking about people who, who get involved in inappropriate relationships. You know, they start by, by fostering something that will fester in their life and become bitter and cruel and, and not good. And God is saying, why would you do that? I've warned for you to flee temptation like that. Don't get involved in that. Uh, we're talking about people mismanaging their finances. They don't handle their finances in a godly way. God couldn't lay it out more clearly how we're to handle our finances. Uh, today, we're not going to get into it, but we, we got studies available for you. But, but here's the thing. Then what happens is the economy turns and it turns on us, but it's not the economy. It's us. 
When we had all these promises over here, if we do it God's way, when all of a sudden we find it falling apart over here, we, 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 we pay the price. Uh, how about this? When a husband goes to strip clubs and, and now all of a sudden his marriage is in trouble and his wife is, I don't want you to even touch me. Why would a, a Christian husband go to a place like that? The land of immorality is like the land of the Philistines. It's the last place we should be. Or why would a, a, a wife, especially a Christian wife, go to a club with her girlfriends to go dancing without her husband there? Why, why would she even do that? Uh, I mean, let's just get real. I'm really trying to talk honestly here about some real issues. Uh, doesn't everybody here know that when they offer ladies night for free, that they're trying to attract ladies so that who will come? Men. What's the purpose of that night? Is the purpose so the girls can go dance and just have fun? Or is the purpose of the night so that men will come in and spend money trying to foster relationships with women? It's a place of sensuality. They're, they're actually, they're not, you, they don't offer ladies night out of the goodness of their heart to bless the ladies, do they? Does everybody here know that? I mean, I think, I know you're going, Chuck, are you being condescending? I got to say, you know, I'm not trying to be, but when I've looked at women, I said, why would you go? Oh, no, no, no. It's just fun. Really? By the way, the Bible calls sin a passing pleasure. There's times we should say no to that. Uh, it, it, by the way, college students who go to drinking parties. Well, I'm not going to drink. But what's the purpose of the party? When they're talking about having all the kegs and all the stuff, do you think the purpose of the party is celebrating Christmas? And, and, and why would someone who's a, why would a Christian date a non-Christian when the Bible says do not be unequally yoked together? I mean, the Bible couldn't be clearer about these things. And Jesus said, if you continue on my word, you will know the truth. The truth will make you free. What happens is God has all these promises over here. And, and, and all of us, including me at times, we go into a place that God said, don't be there. We turn on things on our computer or watch it on, 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 on cable or internet or satellite TV. And we're, we're in the last place we should be doing the last thing we should do. And by the way, there's a big sign that says, come over here and you'll get pleasure. And that iron sign is the same as the one that hangs over Dachau. It's put up by a thief who's going to destroy lives. David is in the worst place. You got to be insane to go to the home of Goliath after you kill Goliath. You got to be insane to go in the land of the Philistines. And David gets caught. I mean, it's not going to be long before he gets noticed there. And he's trapped. And what happens is they're going to bring him to the king of that city. And Achish, and Achish is going to look at him. And, and God intercedes. David actually credits God with his being released. But notice how it has to happen. 1 Samuel 21 verse 10. Then David arose that day and fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one and danced, saying, and notice this, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and greatly feared King uh, uh, Achish, the king of Gath. So he disguised his insanity, or his insanity before them and acted insanely in their hands. And he scribbled on the door of the gate and let saliva run down his beard. And I love this. I don't know if you'll think this is funny. I think this is funny. Then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man behaving like a madman. 
Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you brought this one to me to act like a madman? I just think that. Let's take the president of the United States saying, you brought another idiot before me. I've got enough idiots here. Uh, it says, show this one come into my house. Now, now, isn't it interesting? If you look up at verse 11, but the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Even the Philistines knew he should be different. Uh, when, one time years ago, years ago, when before I was a pastor and before Pam and I were married, I was at a place I shouldn't be. I'll never forget the moment because we're standing there in the midst of this kind of party thing. And someone walked up and said, whoa, I didn't expect to see you here. Chick. This is the last place I thought I'd see you. Well, my friend who said that wasn't a Christian. And he thought, you got to be kidding. A Christian's in a place like this? When even non-Christians can see that. Uh, when when the, the people of Gath are like, wait a minute, that's the king of Israel. Why would he be here? It ought to tell us something. And, and God's desire is that you and I not get caught up in these things. God's desire is that we do everything we can to stay out of situations and actions and attitudes like that. You know, we are literally to be different in the way we eat and drink. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, uh, you know what is, so I, I ought to handle how I treat my body differently. By the way, it's a struggle. I know it's a struggle. But so many people are in bondage today to obesity. And if you are brand new, I want to tell you, I struggle with that. It's not meant to throw stones, but we can't live that way. We're an obese society that hedonistically feeds that appetite. We're an indebted society. The Bible says the borrower is the slave to the lender. And yet the sad truth of the matter is Christians have the exact same spending habit as non-Christians. And we get caught in bondage to that. Uh, affairs that occur. Uh, affairs of the heart that occur. Getting caught up in, in all. God just says don't do it. Purity is too valuable, too wonderful, too incredible. And God says, don't do it. And what happens very often is we go into the world and rather being in the world, but not of the world, we're in the world, just like the world. And we find ourselves caught up in this. And God says, what are you doing? What are you doing that way? Peter says something. I, I, I want to go back to David in a moment, but Peter says something we don't want to miss. He says, you and I ought to be strange to the world. They ought to look at us and say, you don't act like we act. You don't do what we do. We ought to be so completely different, and I think you would agree with this, even if you're brand new to all this, that the Bible teaches we should be so completely different, it's like light and darkness. Wouldn't everybody here agree with that? And then it's like freedom and bondage. Listen to what Peter says about it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, now notice this, because Jesus actually suffered, that ought to change how we act. He says, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Uh, that, that ought to be different. I have a friend who uh, is a very handsome man, very intelligent man. And what happened is he was hired by a pretty large company. And he was on a traveling team uh, that included the president, two vice presidents, and some other people that would do a lot of travel. And, and so, by the way, that's always a lonely feeling going into a new city and a new hotel. But, but the group of guys he went with, what they would do is hit the business scene. And then at night, they'd hit the bar of the hotel. And he was the only one who wouldn't go to the bar. Now, they were all married. but he's and, and by the way, they mocked him. They said, come down with us tonight. Come on, you're missing out. Come on, let loose. You know, man, I'm glad I'm not you. Oh, you're, and they had all these things to say to him. 
And that meant that, you know, at night he would go and sit in his hotel alone, make a quick call to his wife, you know, do some reading. But, but honestly, it, it kind of almost felt like being caught somewhere, he told me. It, it almost sounded more fun to go down there. There were nights he walked by and looked into some of them and he could see the beautiful women in there. And, and he got honest enough with his wife and me and others who held him accountable. He said he'd look at it. It just would have felt good. And you know what? As some of the women before he even made it in would make advances on right away. Men more than ever, he fleed. Uh, but, but he got mocked. He got put down. And today he's the only one of those men that's still married. And he's so glad he didn't give in. Uh, uh, those kind of moments, those kind of times we've got to flee from. And, and it hurts sometime to do it. It actually may cause you pain. And, and I mean that really. Uh, by the way, when we go to the eating thing, uh, there are times where I literally, and, and maybe this isn't you, and maybe you say, oh, Chuck, come on. But I got to be honest. There's times I drive by particular food establishment and it hurts not to go inside physically. I know if I go in, what's going to happen? And, uh, and, and you know what? A night later, two nights later, oh, I feel so much better. Not in the moment. That's why the Bible calls it the passing pleasure of sin that keeps you in bondage. And many of us are in bondage to our own appetites, bondage to our own inclinations. And, and we sabotage our life when we give into it. We ruin it. You know, I, I don't want to keep beating it up, but I'm watching people who should have had the greatest marriage ever. And they're not going to this Christmas. Now, it's not worth it. I'm, uh, kids, it's not worth doing that. You know, people can be free. And we just got to stay out of the land of the Philistines. Look what it says in verse 3. 1 Peter 4, 3. For the time is already passed. The time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Having pursued a course of sensuality. And, and by the way, see, don't pursue places of sensuality where it's built around that. Lust drunkenness, carousing. By the way, notice this one, drinking parties that we just don't go to a drinking party, a party that's built around drinking and abominable idolatries. Verse four, in all this, they, these are non-Christians, are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excess of dissipation and they malign you. They're shocked at us and they're, they're attacking us. They make fun of us, they mock us. It says, but they will give account of him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We ought to be different. We ought to be willing to stay in the midst of some tougher times rather than flee to the land of the Philistines. We ought to be willing to say no in the moment to have the, the love of God and the honor of God for life. We ought to be willing to, to invest ourselves in that which matters. We ought to do that. And when we do, in the end, God's reward and blessing is going to be there. But what happens if you're a David who wasn't strange, who fled into the land of the Philistines and began to live like that? Well, according to 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had some words for David. He said, you've never gone anywhere where my presence has not been with you. David, I didn't leave you in that moment. I didn't leave you in that day. You were hurting. You were betrayed. You were in pain. By the way, if you're in Psalm 56, I want you to see this. Psalm 56 and Psalm 34 are written right out of this experience where David went to the wrong place at the wrong time and got trapped. How did God feel in that moment? What did God think of him? And if you've got Psalm 56 open, I want you to, we're going to read a lot of it, but I want you to scoot down to verse 8. Out of this incredibly horrible decision, God rescues him and he says these words, verse 8. 
You have taken account of my wanderings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not all in your book? Do you know what's going on there? God so loved David that David said this, when I wandered away from your truth, you watched over me. When I got to a place where my heart broke and I was so afraid I couldn't stand it, you treasured every tear. Did you see what isn't there? He didn't say, Lord, when I wandered away, you slapped me as hard as I could be slapped. You rejected me and had nothing to do. Did you notice those words aren't there? You notice he didn't say you disowned me. He said, God, you took account of every step I took and where I went and you'd watched over it. And when my heart finally broke, you treasured every tear I shed. Do you know what that picture is? That's the picture of God as a father. Uh, the other day, my grandson, Liam, he did something he shouldn't do and, and got hurt. And he came running to me with tears in his eyes. And I'll tell you what I did, man. I picked him up and cuddled him and he hugged me tight. And I didn't, I didn't take him and shake him and say, how could you? If I did that, you'd say, what kind of a person are you, Chuck? But I want to tell you, those are the moments. I think that's how God feels towards me and you when we mess up. And, and I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss that because it's so huge. Uh, there was a gathering of, of scholars at Oxford that were going to debate the question on religion. Is one religion superior to the other? Are religions unique to another? Don't all religions eventually lead people to God? And C.S. Lewis was invited to this discussion, this kind of debate. He was late getting there. So they were in the midst of the discussion, discussing what would make one religion stand out more than any other. And when C.S. Lewis uh, got there, they were trying to show how all religions in the end somehow were the same. And C.S. Lewis listened and he said, well, that's not true of Christianity. There's one thing that Christianity has that no other religion has. And he threw out the word and everybody agreed. Grace. Grace. Where sin abounds, what does the Bible say? Grace abounds much more. Now, are we to sin that grace might abound? No. But where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. By the way, I I don't know if you're aware of this. I, I I hope you are. When a member of the Crossroads family falls and gets caught up in things they shouldn't, did you know that the heart of the Crossroads family is to get them back, not to run them off? Where do we get that from? We get it from the Bible. We get it from a God who wants us to go out after the fallen. There's an old saying that Christianity is horrible because it shoots its wounded. I hope that's not true. I hope it's not true here. When your tears are falling because you've been hurt, do you know some words? I want to tell you the words, they're not in the Bible anywhere because God doesn't use them. How could you? Do you know why? Because God already knows how you could. You ready for, I don't know if I'm getting through, but I'm so taken by this. David goes to the land of Gath. He cries out to God for help. God rescues him and brings him back. And, And he just so is in love with God that he writes Psalm 56 and he writes Psalm 34. Do you know what God knew that whole time? That a few months later, David would go back into the land of Gath. God rescued him knowing he'd go do the same thing again and actually worse. Why would God do that? Now, how about this? All of us know this. Not only would David go to the land of Gath twice, but he would also fall with Bathsheba. Did God know that when he forgave him over here? Oh, you bet he did. Why would God do? Here's the answer. Because he couldn't love David more than he did. 
By the way, he loves you that much too. He really does. And you and I, hopefully we want to, based on that love, live our lives right with God. But let me say this. There is no one in this room who's perfect. And if the Lord tarries, all of us are going to sin in one way or another. Now, some of you might go, well, I would never do something as bad as what so-and-so did. Well, let me just have us think about that. Let's talk about sin for a moment. What if someone sinned, a sin so grave that it was like the size of the stage here? It was a rock the size of the stage. A picture of boulder that big. That's how bad the sin is. Okay, and, and, and one or two of you have done that in here. Uh, I've got a name coming on the screen. No. Um, <laughs> and the rest of, uh, of you only sin a sin the size of a rock of my fist. If we take both those rocks and drop them in a lake, which one goes to the bottom? Both of them. You know why? Because to God, the sin is equally grievous. Now, God knows the difference between sins that hurt people and don't. We're not going to get into that today. He does. It's not they're all exactly the same. But they all, in the end, are sin. They all need forgiven. And they all only have one method of forgiveness. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you'll agree with this, but just kind of think this through. The fact that he had to die for some of the little things I did might be a bigger deal. Don't you think that, that you know, that, that quick little sin might, it might actually be worse that he had to die for that one. But my point isn't that. My point is his grace covers them all. And I, I don't know if you're going to go where I'm going right now, but I get amazed at that. And a God who loves that much and cares that much, but he says, don't sabotage your life. David realized how God would always be there for him. In Psalm 56, verse 1, he talks about the pain he was under. He says, be gracious to me, O God, for man is trampled upon me. Have you ever feel like people are just hurting you and they're stomping on you and walking on you? Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled me upon all day long, for there are many who fight proudly. He goes, I've got enemies so many I can't count them. Verse 3, when I am afraid, now what he's learned, I'm going to put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? All day long they distort my words. All their thoughts are evil against me. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they wait for my life. Because of wickedness, cast them forth in anger, put them down, the peoples of God. He says, but you, you have taken account of my wanderings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in that day when I call. And this I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I might walk before God in the light of the living. Why does God forgive us and love us? Well, because he loves us. But on something else, he wants us to walk in the light of the living. He wants us to come to the abundant life. And it doesn't matter who you've been or what you've done. That life is still there for you. It doesn't matter what mess you've made. God can somehow redeem you back and give you an amazing life. God's hand is there for that. His love is there for that. His heart is there for that. And you and I need to experience it personally. And we need to share that with everybody we can. This is the message of Jesus. That God loves us so much. He sent his only begotten son. That he loves us so much. If we would turn and believe in him. His love and care is there. And if you fall again, guess what? God's still there for you. And he couldn't love you more than he does. But God's great call is don't sabotage your own life. 
Don't make a mess of it. And don't, when you do, keep yourself from his love. Run to him. The other Psalm David wrote out of this, oh, I love. Psalm 34, verse one, I will bless the Lord at all times. David said his praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord and the humble shall hear of it and be glad. When you and I find out someone's fallen and they come back to God, we cheer that on. By the way, why was this building packed last week? Because Michael Francis came to know the love and grace of God and we loved hearing it, right? And to whom much is forgiven, there's what? Much love. So the humble hear of it and be glad. And then David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Because you know why God, he said, this man, this humble man called out and God delivered me from all my fears. That's what God does. He delivers you from every single fear and hurt and pain. He can do that. And I hope that right now you're living your life exactly where God wants you to be. And if you are, cling to that and and, and keep with it. Don't sabotage yourself. Don't become your own worst enemy. Don't choose things that'll hurt you. But I don't want you to miss this. If you have or if you do, his love is so high and so wide and so deep that it's beyond comprehension. And Paul prayed a prayer in Ephesians 3. I hope you always know this love. He said, if I could pray one thing, I want you to know that kind of love. And I hope today you know it. Today, if you're someone here who's never experienced God's love, I want to invite you to become his child. I want to invite you to come into a relationship with him. That's what the good news of Jesus is. And, and by the way, I had to enter it and others entered it. And it's got to be entered by choice. You might say, well, how do I go from just knowing God's out there? Or how do I find that forgiveness and that love? The answer is this, you accept it. That's why we call it accepting Christ. What you do is you actually tell him, I want this. I want you. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to ask you today, if you've never given your heart and life to Christ, if you sense God calling you to or you just want this, he wants you, I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer with me. I'm going to ask you to whisper the words right where you're sitting. By the way, David, when he was a person who knew God is when he fell away. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you're not close to God anymore, maybe you've done something, maybe you've just shut the door. I want to promise you this. He wants you back. He's watched you every step you've taken, every tear you've shed. He wants you back. And he doesn't want you to try to earn it. He just wants you to run to him. And how do you do it again? It's interesting. Jesus said to Christians, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you would open up to me, I'd come in. You need to accept him back. You need to do what you did at first. Pray the prayer with us again today. For anyone today who wants to give their life to Christ for the first time and accept him, or you need to return, I want you to know as we pray this prayer in a moment, he wants you. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that your spirit would just touch this place. Touch each one of us, Lord. May we all know your love. God, I pray for the people here who are right now are right with you, and I know there's so many. Lord, I pray that we're just praising you for your love. But Lord, for the people who need you, who are lonely, some may be ashamed. Some might not have even thought of what they're doing is wrong and today's been convicting. God, I pray that they would know they could not be more loved than they are. 
And I pray that they would open up themselves to your love and open up themselves to your life that you have for them and the forgiveness. And they would want to be people now who just throw themselves into your arms and begin to live with you and for you. And so God, I pray right now you're touching some people. Maybe it's someone who's hurting because someone's hurt them like David was. And they've lashed out, but now it's time to let go and be free. Father, for the person who's entering Christmas and didn't want to, but God, I pray they're about to not only get the gift of you, but an amazing Christmas. So Lord, I pray for your love to touch in ways right now that draw people to you. I'm gonna ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, I wanna ask you to pray for anybody who needs to make this decision. But today, I know God wants some of you to come to him. I know he does. And if you want this, I'm gonna ask you right where you're sitting, let's start the process by whispering a prayer. Let's just pray it together. Do you want the Lord? Do you want his love, his life? Do you sense this moment? If so, just pray this prayer with me. Whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross so that my sins will be forgiven. So that I'll be healed from hurt and pain. So that I will be free from fear. You died, O oh Lord, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I want this, and I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. And help me be who I was created to be. And help me live the life you have for me to live. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer today, praise God for you. I'm not kidding. Praise the Lord. And uh, 